0: Father, we come to you humbly to hear your word, to understand your teaching, and to live our lives accordingly. Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we would be obedient to your scriptures, we would be receptive to your word, and uh, that we would in turn uh, show our love and our our honor towards you, Father. Pray through our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. amen. Well, we are on week two of our... Foundations of Marriage series, which is the first real, first real week. Last week we just had the introduction, and today we're going to get into some of the foundational teachings. And so as we go through this series, they are sequential and uh, building one on top of another. And so this is probably the most important one if you don't understand uh, today that that the gospel has been proclaimed as a marriage and that your life reflects that or your marriage reflects that, then uh, you're probably not going to get much use out of the rest of it Um, because the, the fundamental thing today is if you understand the gospel and live accordingly, then your marriage will get better. If it's good, it'll be better. If it's better, it'll be best. If it's best, it'll be the bestest. And it's only contingent on, on you, uh, on you receiving the gospel. It's not contingent on uh, the other party. I should say I should qualify that because it's not guaranteed that your marriage will get better. You are guaranteed, as you uh, live according to the scriptures, to have a more God-honoring life, and you will have a closer relationship with Christ. And most of the time, in turn, your marriage gets better. (laughs) And so, today we're going to look at the gospel uh, proclamation and a fundamental covenant we have in scripture, uh, in human relations, is, is the marriage covenant. And so, because God is covenantal, that inherently means that marriage is covenantal, and marriage is the primary covenant representation of God's union with man, meaning that uh, there are other covenantal unions like that God is a father, but a father uh, is only a father after having children in in the context of marriage, and so the marriage is is primary the union the first union is primary, the second covenantal union with father to children or mother to children is secondary, and then you can see other covenantal uh, unions and and analogies in scripture. Uh, like God is judge, that's a covenantal union, but that's all downstream from marriage. And so a covenant, uh, we want to define as is simply a solemn bond, sovereignly administered with attending blessings and curses. And so God is covenantal in his nature. That means he's covenantal, covenantal in his being. He can't help to not be covenantal. Every relationship he has is a covenant relationship. That is, with his people and those who are not his people. Those are all covenantal relationships. And so man, made in the image of God, is inherently covenantal. We are covenantal beings because we're made in his image. Um, And so we set up covenants all the time. So uh, our family structures are covenantal. Uh, Being a father or mother, like I said, is is a covenantal relationship with your children. There's uh, civic covenantal structures that we make all the time. Is because <clears throat> we were made in the image of God, and and we are we're bound to make covenants because of that. And so, marriage isn't a covenant that we made up. We are we can make covenants. We could do business covenants, and those are uh, are maybe <clears throat> we could loosely base them off of scripture. We could have them more or less based off of, off of scripture in the in the terms and the agreements. But I don't think it's inherently a biblical covenant, if you have an uh, economic or a business covenant. And so some covenants we make are just man-made covenants, are just, I make a covenant with you, we'll do it together, uh, and, we, and we agree to it, and we make them up and we establish them. But marriage is not one of those covenants that we make up. Uh, it is established by God, and we're going to see that in the Scriptures today, and we're going to see that as a proclamation of the Gospel. go. So let's go to Genesis 2. 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called, every living creature, that was its name. The man named, I'm sorry, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm assuming he's excited. (laughs) She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so you're going to see uh, some of the scriptures um, that we use today, or that I use today, and we look, we're going to look at like pretty much a lot of the same scriptures for 24 weeks, and because we really want to pound it in that this is primary, this is uh, this is fundamental. A lot of the scriptures that just didactically teach you what you should do in respect of marriage, you should just do. And so, uh, when we see the uh, especially in Genesis where um, we see the first marriage, we see the first covenant in human relationship, that is a foundation for every other marriage covenant. And so whether if there's divergent covenants or divergent marriages that look off, it's because they've diverted from the, the fundamental covenant, the, the primary example. <clears throat> and so in this, we don't see, I don't, I don't see Eve getting walked down the aisle by her dad and giving her away, and i didn 't see the flower girl doesn 't mention the flower girl doesn 't mention a lot of things we have in in our traditional uh, wedding ceremonies, but what we do see is that she wasn 't created wife he didn 't say, "Alas, this is my wife." Alas, he says, "Alas, this is woman, she was created woman, she wasn 't created wife, and it wasn 't until um, uh, verse twenty four where we get the first instance of that being adam's wife where this is um i presume and i think i'm right on this that this is moses's commentary because therefore a man shall leave his father and mother adam didn't do that he didn't he didn't leave his father and mother uh and um hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh And verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so she wasn't taken from his rib and made a wife. She was taken from his rib and made a woman. Her sole purpose on earth was not first to enter into, um, uh, I guess, let me rephrase the start of that sentence. She wasn't created wife, and so she wasn't initially a wife. And so she was created woman, and then something happened, and then they were, they were husband and wife. And then throughout the rest of Scripture, the rest of this chapter, it says that Adam is the husband in respect to Eve, and Eve is the wife in respect to, to Adam. And so at some point, uh, she becomes wife, and it's, I think it's primarily when it you look at it, that Adam falls asleep, God puts him in a deep sleep, takes the rib, fashions her into a woman, he wakes up and it says God brings her to him. There seems to be now a, a covenant in the eyes of God, before God, uh, where they are now joined as one flesh, um, and even in Moses' commentary, because Moses is writing this uh, a few thousand years later in, in the desert in the Exodus, and they have fathers and mothers at that point, and actually it's not too long before they have fathers and mothers, and he's making the comment that you are going to break this covenantal union, you're going to separate from your father and mother, and you are going to be joined and hold fast to your wife, and this is going to be a new covenantal union. And so uh, I believe it's at that point when God is bringing them together that, that they are now husband and wife, uh, that God establishes that covenant. And so um, if you've done any marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling or gone through anything, uh, they usually call it the, the leave, cleave, and weave. You leave your household, you cleave to your spouse, and you weave a, a new life together. And so that's a little catchy saying to, to help you remember what to do in, in marriage. or to get prepared for marriage. Um, and there's usually problems along the way, or problems do come up if you don't completely leave, if you're not cleaving and if you're not weaving, which, which takes two. And so what we, in our culture today, we have a lot of just human humanism mixed up and where in scripturally marriage isn't just a piece of paper, right? It's not just a legal document. There is some kind of real union going on. Uh, even in 1 Corinthians when it says when a man sleeps with a prostitute it says that he becomes one with her there's some kind of real union that happens in in that context and so uh, marriage isn't just a a uh, societal structure it's not something that was just it benefits society and we made it up um, of course, there are cultures that have never heard of Christianity or never heard of a Judeo-Christian value, and they still get married, right? They still have marriage. It's because they're made in the image of God. They're covenantal beings. They uh, Some things, Scripture says, are so evident in creation that everybody gets it, and I think marriage is one of those because you can go to the, uh, some country that hasn't uh, had any outside influence, and they're still marrying uh, some type of marriage there. And so it's more than just a piece of paper. There is some real union there. <clears throat> and so uh, God had put this this union, this covenant of marriage, in the beginning of his revealed word, in the beginning of scriptures. So this is primary. And he didn't put it in here in the beginning to be like, okay, God created the heavens and the earth. He separated the light from day, the land from dry ground, the the... Uh, waters above and the waters below, the night and day, and all these things. And he's like, and then here's just some practical lessons on how to live your life and have a good marriage and just follow this example. He doesn't start with a covenant of works. He doesn't give you this example to follow so that you could just have the example, and, and try harder. It's If you read through Romans, it talks about Adam being a type of the first Adam, and so he's putting the gospel here in the beginning, in the uh, story, in the historic account of Adam and Eve, in this marriage union. And so he's not just starting to say, hey, all right, now here's, here's me creating things, and then Here's like a bunch of list of rules and a good, good ways to live your life. And hopefully that will make you happy. And then once we get to the New Testament and we get a little bit farther down the road, uh, you can hear the gospel a little bit clearer and hopefully you get it. No, he is proclaiming the gospel from the very beginning in this covenantal union. And so it's portrayed as, the gospel is portrayed as a marriage union uh, from beginning to end. And so I'm just recapitulating that. Uh, from Adam and Eve, uh, as I said earlier, is Adam is put to sleep by God. He is, is a type of death. He, his bride is taken out of his side. He is resurrected. He raises from his sleep. The woman is brought to him, and they are covenantally uh, united together. And so you see the same thing, as I said, that God is covenantal when Christ is saying, I and the Father are one, He means that they're they're one. There's a uh, at least in this sense. There's some covenantal union and bond between the father and son that is there. And so in the same way uh, that we see that we see that Adam and Eve are one in this covenantal union. The the bride was taken out of his side. The Lord brings them together, and they are they are made one. And so I'm going to paraphrase. Ezekiel sixteen one through twenty two for you, for the sake of time, and then we'll turn to Matthew twenty two. But again, throughout Scripture, you'll see the analogies um, of of a covenantal union in marriage between God's people and Himself. Ezekiel sixteen is a is a good one because it's it's longer and it's not the marriage you want to uh, imitate either. By the way, maybe if you're the husband, but but there is a um, there is a baby born in its uh, without being cleaned. It's tossed into the field to die, and and the Lord sees this this baby and and gathers the baby, saves its life, cleans it up, and watches it grow up and becomes a beautiful young woman. And then it's in, in Ezekiel in this prophetic scripture. Then he says that he he married the beautiful young woman that he saved in the beginning and cleaned her up and and washed her. Fortunately, she became the harlot, but. Uh, but there is a the analogy of the covenantal union of marriage between God's people and himself. And Christ talks about this directly in Matthew 22. Uh, we'll look at 1, we won't read all of, 1 through 14 is the whole parable, but for... All right, we could read most of it, and again Jesus spoke to them in a parable in parable, saying, "The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who had a great wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were united to the wedding feast, but they would not come again. He sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. <clears throat> my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and looked at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And so in this invitation that, that the Lord is putting out there, there is a wedding feast going on. There's a wedding, there's a union, and they're being invited to feast in that. In that. And so, uh, this is, the parable is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Very clearly, Jesus is out preaching to the, to the Israelites and to the Jews, and they're the ones that are rejecting him, and the gospel is going out to, to all nations. And so, but it's an invitation to a wedding feast. And so, one we're going to use a lot is Ephesians 5. So get used to turning there. And so sometimes when we read the scriptures, if we're on a Bible reading plan or reading it every year, sometimes we can just gloss over it and it becomes normal. And you read it and you're like, yeah, I get that. And you, we get these like, it gets in your brain and you know the words and you hear it a lot. Uh, but then you just don't think about it. And we're like, yeah, we got it. But uh, we don't want to do that. And so, um, Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Well, let's just start at 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might, present to the, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and blend, and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so when he says this mystery is profound, he is saying that there is something, we see this in marriage all the time, and it is pointing to something that is way more profound than we could probably even attempt to grasp, and that refers to Christ and his church. And it is particularly the mystery is a covenantal marriage union, that we are his bride, we are his body, he is our head, and he is His our Lord, and in that respect, uh, the husband of us as the church. And so there are weird little cults that take those little pieces of like God's are, we're married to God, and they take it into really weird places and push it into really weird corners, we'll avoid that. Don't worry. Um, but the the covenantal union that God is, is throughout Scripture saying this is a marriage covenantal union between Christ and his church. And we see that daily, and we see that covenantal union daily if we're married or if we're preparing for marriage, we're getting ready for it. And so that's why it's, it's important, but that's a foundational uh, aspect of the gospel. When you see your marriage, you are getting a real piece of the gospel in practical means every day. If you're preparing for marriage, you're preparing to hear and see and live the gospel every day. Let's go to Revelation 19, 6 through 10. Just to drive the point home. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, Is this right? I'm in Revelation 6. That that was not right. I need a quart of something. Okay, Revelation 19, 6 through 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters And like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down and worshiped him. But he said to me, you must not do that. And so again, the, the gospel call is a marriage, is a, is a union to Christ that we see that our marriages on earth are a reflection of that. Every marriage on earth is supposed to reflect the ultimate marriage. And so we see this consistently throughout scripture and and so if we, don't, if we don't enter our marriage, if we don't prepare for marriage, if we don't have our marriages based around that, around the gospel call of Christ to his bride, then everything else is, is at least a little off. Everything else is uh, it's not focused. It's not on purpose. It's, you won't get the end that God has in, in, in store for it. And so the point of this series isn't actually to give you a happy marriage. If you're like, hey, I want to come, and I maybe you've got an okay marriage, or you're not married, and you want to get married one day, and you're like, I want to have a happy marriage, and well, then your thinking is actually off. It's not primary. What you want to think is, I want to come to this marriage and, and honor God, and I will grow closer to Him, and the spouse I choose will either make that a little bit easier or a little bit harder. And when I do that, when I grow in holiness, then I will be happy. And so if you're just coming to uh, uh, your marriage or any relationship for your happiness, even if you understand the requirements from you, it's probably not going to end in your happiness. Most of the time uh, in in my life and what I've observed is if I want to be happy and I'm basing that on my relationship with somebody else, I'm usually saying they need to do something to make me happy. I will be happier when you do this. And that's just not the case. Short-term happiness. But. And so the more you understand the gospel and act on it in faith, uh, the better spouse you will be. Because there are, in the, in the gospel call, not just in some pietistic way, when, we're, when we get into the uh, length of the series, there are particular things that God is calling you to do as a husband or as a wife. And those are different. And when you hear those and you respond accordingly, you, you act in faith. And so, regardless of whether your spouse is a Christian or not, or whether they obey the word or not, doesn't actually matter in this context. If you grow closer to Christ and you respond correctly, you will understand the gospel more, and you will be a better spouse. Even in, if you read uh, First Peter one, I'm sorry, First Peter three, verse one, it talks about how wives are supposed to respond to those who to husbands who don't obey the word that could be someone who's not a christian that could be someone who is a christian i know a lot of guys who come to church and don't obey the word <laughs> right and so it doesn't it doesn't say if your husband's not a christian then you should act totally different and do this he actually says the exact same instruction to the women who are married to christians He gives the same instruction regardless. And so it doesn't matter in that context of you understanding the gospel if if your spouse is submitted to Christ or not. You will understand the gospel. You will grow in grace. You have the opportunity to receive the word and grow in grace regardless of your spouse. And so uh, as as you hear the word, As you grow in the gospel and understand it better, you will inevitably, I think you will inevitably have a better marriage uh, if you grow closer to Christ. That's a general rule. Sometimes there are uh, terrible marriages out there. I don't think any of us are in that kind of danger where even as you grow closer to Christ, your marriage gets worse. And usually those are, you can think of examples like that in like, Muslim-dominated countries where, like, the wife comes to Christ and the husband's just, like, beat them senselessly in hopes that they don't be Christians. Well, their marriage isn't getting any better. (laughs) They are growing closer to Christ, presumably, uh, and most of the time the uh, husband's in in that context of of if they're violent Muslims or something, then they'll either leave them or or abandon them or something. And so that's a general principle uh, in the context of our church, into Christians, uh, if you 're growing closer to Christ, your marriage will probably get better. I can almost guarantee it, but it 's a general principle, and so again, your ability to to be a, a god honoring spouse is not contingent on your spouse 's actions it's we you, when we come to this series about uh, about marriage it 's going to be very easy to hear the uh, we're going to get right into the husband's responsibility and what his roles are and what he's called to do and the wife's responsibilities and what her role are and what she's called to do. And, but you can't come and say, oh, I just learned about my wife's responsibilities from Scripture. I should tell her what to do. That should go well. <laughs> I would suggest you don't try it. Because <laughs> nowhere in Scripture is it going to say that uh, husbands, here's the wife's responsibility. Make sure you hover over her and make sure she's doing it. And wives, here's your husband's responsibility. And Make sure you nag him, like, at least three or four times a day. And then send a reminder text. And then before you go to bed, just be like, mention it and then turn over. <laughs> right? The scriptures don't say that. The scriptures say, wives do this. Husbands do this. And so your actions, uh, your growing closer to Christ are contingent on, on you receiving grace and your actions. It is not contingent on your spouse. And so um, this is, I left one of my notes in in your outline but that I didn't get deleted, but uh, it says that marriage does not innately change you. It only brings out what is already inside. Uh, And my note there is that it's not a sacrament. So different traditions have different um, uh, lists, different sacraments. We believe that uh, that marriage is not innately a sacrament, meaning that when you get married, it does not innately make you holy. It does not innately change you. It just brings out what is already inside of you. Now, marriage does provide you a wonderful opportunity on a day-to-day basis to crucify your flesh, like a hundred (laughs) times, and and because you're in a closer, closer relationship and bond. And so marriage doesn't change you. Marriage gives you a great opportunity to grow in character, to grow in grace, to grow closer to Christ. But getting married... Doesn't change you. It only brings out what was already there. That's why we uh, try to suggest to and do premarital counseling and, and suggest to singles to really prepare for marriage. Get ready now. Look at your character issues. Look at, at what at what God calls a husband to do, and get ready now, because it's not gonna. You're not instantly gonna have like a lot of good character. And if you're not slow to speak and slow to angry, slow to anger. Uh, and quick to listen, then you're not going to be—you're not going to be any different once you get married. Um, one of the uh, blessings that we have in, in our community, and just though our community lifestyle is—I've heard most people. You've probably heard out there that they say like the first year of marriage is like the hardest, and it really is the hardest because it's like, well, that's not where I put the salt shaker. <laughs> that's not how I had it. <laughs> it's don't, yeah, the toilet paper roll. We don't hang it that way here in this house, or, or I didn't know your bedtime routine was so loud or something, uh, and I wasn't planning on doing that. And I know we discussed this, but when it worked out, that's not going to work for me. Uh, and there's just a you're you're entering from two households, getting melted into one household. And there's a lot of learning curve, and so I believe that the most people say the first year is the hardest because there's so many little things that have to be resolved like today or soon where you feel that way because uh, you're just putting your you're uh, making one household out of two and when we live in, in single brothers and sisters' households, it does just make it a lot easier the uh, First year of marriage might still be the hardest, but is far better, in my opinion, and easier than living with four guys. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I think the single sisters might have a corroborating testimony on that. That, um, and so it just—it's just when uh, you're you're leaving one household and you're joining those, you're both leaving one household and making one together, it, there are rough edges that need to be smoothed out. And so, that being said, I'm saying that marriage is not innately a sacrament that will make you more holy, but it does prevent, present to you tons of opportunities to crucify your flesh, tons of opportunities to walk out the gospel with your spouse. And you can prepare for that now if, if you live in a single brother's or sister's household or if you live with other people, um, or you could work it out now just in examining and being introspect with your character issues and how you need to grow. And so in order to get anything out of this series, you must first apply this to yourself. Because it might get a little confusing because later... Down the road, there are things that husbands are called to do for their wives and to apply to their wives. But if you don't first apply this to yourself, it will be of no benefit to you. And in big bold there, you should see in the outlines, do not go home and tell your spouse how they could be a better companion. That will not help you. That is not the gospel. That is not... How It's not what we read in Ephesians 5, it's not what we saw in, in Genesis 1, it's not what we see anywhere in the scriptures, is that you go to your spouse and you just start telling them how to be a better spouse. It is first led by example. And so you, your marriage will actually be worse uh, if, you, if we get through this series and you try to apply the foundations to your spouse first. If you don't go home and seek God and cry out for grace and 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 pray and, and understand and walk by faith how to live out the principles in your life first and you try to apply it to someone else your life is going to get worse you can guarantee that that's not the gospel that's not how christ came uh, and saved us he didn't at first tell us how we need to get better and then he's like well then i'll then i'll do it then i'll lead by example right? And also your marriage will also get worse if you just try harder. And so faith precedes works. Uh, if you look at, I was just reading through, uh, got done reading through Hebrews, and it's amazing that it talks about like, you know, faith is the assurance of these things not seen and the hope of things that are not yet. And, uh, you know, it says without faith it is impossible to please God. And that goes through an entire chapter of people who were examples of faith, Like, man, what do they do? Like, do they pray all day? They just really believe. And it just lists um, a whole chapter of actions, a whole chapter of deeds, a whole chapter of responses. And so uh, uh, faith precedes uh, works, uh, like it says in, in Ephesians, that we were saved by faith, but we were created for good works. And so you can't have a better marriage, you can't have a happier marriage, you can't have a more God-honoring marriage by just trying harder, by just really putting your nose to the grindstone and doing it. It's not going to work, it's not going to last, you actually have to uh, come by faith. And I think Marriage and because and, everything is relational and everything is covenantal, marriage does present a wonderful opportunity for you to really grow closer to God because you're going to have to uh, sometimes get on your hands and knees and say, Lord, I just don't know if I can do this. How am I supposed to, how is this going to work out? Or not just how is this marriage going to work out, but I mean, how is like, how are we going to, uh, how am I going to actually be a God honoring husband? It's really hard. And so your being precedes doing. Uh, so let's look at Romans 6, 4 through 9. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. A couple more verses. For one one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so the same principle in Second in Corinthians five, seventeen that says, you are a new creation. But you can't have a God honoring uh, you can't walk out the gospel in your marriage, which is what God designed it to, to be, without first being a new creature, without daily receiving receiving grace. And so your being who you are—that emanates out of you—has to come. Come, your your deeds have to come forth from that. Uh, your nature has to change before you change your your actions or your responses. Most most marriage problems that anybody has—they're not actions that you did. Most of the time, it's responses that you gave. <laughs> it's your spouse does something, and it's your reaction. And so. Uh, and how you react in those situations comes out of, out of who you are. If you grow closer to Christ, you will inevitably uh, have more God-honoring responses to your spouse. You will, because if the gospel becomes truer and truer for you, and if you walk it out by faith, it will naturally emanate out of you more. And you will see that work out in your marriage in, in countless ways over, over your entire life. And so uh, you can't just look at the husbands ought to do this, wives ought to do this, this is what we ought to do, and then just put your nose to the grindstone and try harder. It's going to end up pretty bad. It might end up good for like a little bit, but it's going to end in, uh, in disappointment. And so you have to come to Christ more deeply, day by day, to be a, a better spouse, to be, have a God-honoring marriage. And uh, because the, the gospel proclamation is primarily a marriage, it gives you, you have that opportunity to grow closer to Christ every day in the relationship with your spouse. And if you don't see it that way, then you're not going to look for it, you're not going to uh, be attentive to it, and it's not probably going to go in that direction. But you have to understand that your marriage... If you're preparing for marriage, or if you're married, or if you want to be married someday, then uh, that is only a mirror, that is only a, a shadow of the real substance, which is Christ's union with his bride. And so as Christians, we're just called to, in our marriages, to live out the gospel. And our primary way we do that is, is with, our, with our spouses in our, in our households. Um... I always think it's funny to kind of end on on this note is we have a tendency, that's we as humans have a tendency to uh, not focus as much on our households and in, in discussions and in, uh, in good deeds in our own households to our spouses, to our family, to our children, to our extended family. And we want to jump steps and go out into the world or... Uh, disciple friends or whatever and if it's not happening in the household and it's not effective in the household it's not going to be effective in any other relationship and so if you don't start in the household first with your closest neighbors with your closest relationships it's not going to be very effective anywhere else you go it's not going to be um, you might have some good fruit uh, but it's not going to probably be long-term and lasting and so So we're called to proclaim the gospel, to live out the gospel, to mirror the gospel, the covenant union we have with Christ in our marriages. And that's how we have to come to this series. Don't apply it to your spouse. Don't apply it to your roommates. Don't apply it to uh, anybody else first. You take the principles and you apply them to yourself. And so let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to worship you vibrantly and dynamically this morning, that we would uh, understand your gospel and apply it in our marriages, uh, to, our, to ourselves, uh, in our relationships, in our households through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.